The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two and two against three. A father will be divided against his son, and a son against his father, a mother against her daughter, and a daughter against her mother, a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The Gospel of the Lord. Last week I was down in California visiting friends and family and there's a priest friend of mine from California who I keep in touch with and we both showed up at seminary on the same day. We both looked at each other and we thought, what are we doing here and how did we get here? And uh, interestingly enough, we're still priests and everything's great. So uh, it's good to keep in touch with him. But while we were out going to, uh, on the way to Santa Barbara, so he actually started playing this radio channel, which was a Sherlock Holmes mystery. And anyway, the gist of this was that, that Sherlock was interviewing this man because his wife had died, and he wanted to know if he was responsible in some way. And anyway, after the interview, he told his dear friend Watson, his sidekick, uh, that yes, he's certainly the one, he's guilty, and now I'm assured of this. And so he starts explaining why, because as you know, Sherlock kind of picks up on all these little clues. So the one clue he picked up on was that her husband was walking nine paces, and he'd turn around and walk nine paces and turn around, and he had this set distance that he always was pacing within. And so Sherlock came to the understanding that that was because he was in jail, and he's walking the same amount of paces that would be in a jail cell. Now I was thinking, like, okay, he's pushing it a bit here, you know, but he's Sherlock, so you give him a little latitude. Well, after that, the story progressed, and I was kind of spacing off thinking about other things, and then I came back just in time for Sherlock to explain something about a cat. And uh, anyway, so my friend turns to me, and he says, so did you figure it out? And I said, no. He goes, well, it was obvious because of the cat. And I said, well... What do you mean because of the cat? He goes, you know, because of the cat. And he starts explaining the reason why the cat basically describes why this man's guilty. And uh, I can't tell you why the cat is why it, it explains that he's guilty because I wasn't paying attention to my friend either, you know? So at the end, I was hungry and we were going to go to In-N-Out Burger. So anyway, my mind was on something else. So I missed the detail that was really important. Now, the reason I tell this story is because when people think of Jesus, they have, a, they have something in their mind, but they don't always have all the details. And when they think of the kingdom of God and the, the gospel 
and when they think of the good news, they don't always understand the fullness of the message because they haven't heard all the details. And the details are often much more surprising than, than you would think. And the details actually describe Jesus and his gospel in a way that is even greater than we have come to understand over the years. So I remember when I was in high school, I was reading the Gospel of Matthew, and I started with chapter 5, and I was reading the Sermon on the Mount. And I remembered reading the Sermon on the Mount, thinking that, well, this is a little different than I expected. Because back in the day, you would hear a lot about how God is love, and uh, Jesus is just, you know, do what you want. He loves you anyway. You're all going to heaven. You know, everything's great. And so anyway, I just kind of thought, well, that must be the Jesus of love, right? He just lets us do whatever we want. He doesn't really care. In the end, he loves us and saves us. But what I found is the more that I read about him, the more I noticed that he says some pretty challenging stuff. Like, for example, he says that we have to be concerned about our riches, and they can actually be an obstacle for us on going to heaven and that we should give away our riches and cling to what is eternally more important. He also had a very strong sexual ethic that he says sexuality is reserved for marriage, it's for a man and a woman, and it's a covenant thing, and it's so wonderful that not only should you reserve that for marriage, but there's no divorce. I was thinking, like, well, that's pretty, pretty difficult stuff, too. Jesus also said we have to love our enemies and do good to those who persecute us. Well, who wants to do that, right? So there, there are all these things that Jesus preaches about where we can easily just skim over that and then just kind of cling to the, well, it's all about love, you know? But it is. It's true. So you've all read, I'm sure, you know, in the letters of John where God is love. That is true. But I think what happens is sometimes people reverse that and they say love is God. You know, so that way you don't have to deal with the relationship of the person of God and you don't have to take seriously his difficult teachings. But if we know anything about the way that this life works, that the details are important because God demonstrates his love by the fullness of his gospel, which has many challenging aspects to it. So there was this uh, theologian, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was around uh, the time just before World War II, and he was talking about this contrast between cheap grace and costly grace. And so he was mentioning at the time in Germany where he was from that people were clinging to a cheap grace because it was convenient and easy. But he was saying that God calls us to a costly grace. And so some of the examples he gave when it came to cheap grace was that we would have forgiveness without repentance, that we would have communion without confession, and, and these examples of basically what he was saying is we don't have to sacrifice anything. That we want the God that just gives us whatever we want and kind of brushes over all the difficult stuff. But he said God calls us to sacrifice. And he calls us to understand the immensity and the difficulty of the gospel, that it came at a great cost. And his example of that was that Jesus himself, he came to this earth, so that he could die. Now, if God himself was to sacrifice himself to such a great degree, then that's the model for us when it comes to our faith, that we have to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. And Jesus says these exact same things. He says, nobody who looks behind you is worthy of the gospel, worthy of the kingdom of God. 
He says, if you do not put, you do not put anything in front of Jesus because he alone is worthy of all love and devotion, and you have to commit yourself to him entirely. And this is part of, of Jesus' preaching, part of his plan and his expectation. And this is what Bonhoeffer was calling the costly gospel, to take it seriously, including the challenges, and not just stick to the easy part. Now, also while I was down in California, uh, my priest friend, uh, he says, he goes, hey, dude, you want to help me out and give a little talk for me? Which always gets a little concerned when he says stuff like that, but I'm like, oh, sure, yeah, how hard could this be? So he has this group of people that he wants me to go and talk to. So I said, okay, that's good. I said, what am I talking about? And he says, well, they kind of want you to talk about Oregon. I was like, talk about Oregon? I said, okay, that's kind of interesting. Well, in particular, uh, we all know Oregon's crazy. So we want you to talk about what it is to be a priest in Oregon, uh, especially with all the craziness that goes on in Oregon. And so my answer was, well, you realize you're in California, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not like there's a huge difference here. So anyway, but okay, fine. So anyway, as I'm talking to this group, I'm saying, yes, I'm from Oregon, but I have, to, I have to let you know, I love Oregon, and I love Oregonians. I've been here almost all my life. I've been to many different places throughout the state, and really, I love Oregon and Oregonians. And so, so, but I also am honest enough to recognize that we're pretty lost in a lot of ways. Why are we lost? Because we have not understood Jesus and the gospel. So more than anything, that's what Oregon needs. And I don't mean the superficial gospel or the political gospel or the gospel that people might think. I mean the authentic gospel that Jesus professes and gives to us through the scriptures, through the teaching of the church, through tradition, through the examples of the saints. I mean the full gospel and the full Jesus. Because if we had that, some of the craziness that we see around us wouldn't exist. And for that matter, the craziness we see in California wouldn't exist. You know, but I was just mentioning this because it's easy for us to kind of look at, at the craziness that we see in this world and think that somehow that the gospel doesn't have the answers that we need, but it does. Jesus doesn't have the answer, but he does. And so we, as people of faith, should embrace that, the fullness of everything, but also understand that it comes as a cost. And so that's what Jesus is getting at in the gospel today. He says, don't think that I'm just this prince of peace in a way that is not going to bring about some kind of division, because it might, it can, and often does. Now, this division, sometimes it's within us because we can be divided. We can be divided between what we want to do, our sinful self, and what God calls us to do, the godly life. And that division that we have in our own bodies, in our own mind, in our own actions, we need the healing of Christ to bring about a certain unity in us. Also, there is division that happens within families, it happens within churches, it happens within countries and states, and, and as you all know, we're really divided in a lot of ways. But there's a certain unity that we're called to in Christ. Now, we have to be careful because if we just make the assumption that everything's divided because we're perfect and they're all the pagans, you know, then we're, we're going to be setting ourselves up for failure because the division that we bring about because of our arrogance and our pride and because of our sinfulness is being part of the problem that's leading to the division in our lives. And so we have to be humble and, once again, understand what Jesus brings us and to understand that fully so that we can 
project and live according to the authentic gospel. So that way, for example, when it comes to what we say and do, we're actually doing godly things that have the ability to draw people and attract people to Christ and his message in a way that other ways don't do. Like, for example, among this group, one of the questions I had, he said, well, Father, don't you get upset when people desecrate the church and desecrate God and, and profane him and all this? And I was like, well, of course, you know, we're not called to be doormats. I said, but at the same time, I want to take a long-term approach and say, what can I say and what can I do that will maybe attract people in a way that won't if I just go to war every time? You know, so enter into their experience and try to understand them and love them and not give them an excuse to just reject Christianity outright or Catholicism outright, but to maybe consider it. So once again, I need those gifts of the Spirit to help me to have the insight, the wisdom, and the understanding so that I might say and do something that might help them to understand who Jesus is and what it's all about. So for this week, we might want to consider a few things. The first one is just how we can be a little more open and humble and receive the fullness of Christ and his gospel. If you haven't read the gospels, if you haven't read your Bible, it's a good time to start doing that. Also, the next thing that we can do is look for those opportunities that we have to be people who not only bring about the healing that we need, but to help others to bring about the healing they need so that the unity God desires for all of us might be effected. And then the last part is, to understand the cost of the gospel, you know, to kind of take it in for, for what it truly is, and to understand that, yes, there is sacrifice that will need to happen, but we also know that if we're willing to be generous with God, that he's never outdone in his generosity.